Well, it is great to be together, A through K, L to Z. Um, Yeah, A to Z. Well, let me start this morning. First of all, it's, it's great to be able to gather together and to share. And thank you, Tim, for letting us as pastors to share from time to time. And uh, I know I've done, a, I've done a number of Father's Days. That's not really a, uh, by design or anything. It just happens to be sometimes calendar-wise. But uh, I am glad to be here to speak on the subject of fatherhood. Uh, I'll tell you in just a moment. What you're going to hear in this room is not what you're going to hear out there. What you're going to hear right here, what you're going to hear in this is something that's under attack when it comes to family. And so I'd like to start with someone that uh, has got a nice little quote about being uh, a father or being a boy. Samuel Clements once said, I mean, Mark Twain, I don't know who they are, one of those guys. Mark Twain once said, quote, at the age of 12, a boy starts imitating a man. And he just goes on doing that the rest of his life. Just trying to be a man just imitating a man, and just keep doing that. Well, Mark Twain, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, uh, as I think about this, this uh, day today, I'm going to tell you where I come from. I come from a home that had a godly dad, has, and my dad's still living, and, and I'm blessed. I'll, uh, hopefully, maybe I'll see him today. Uh, but I was raised in a Christian home. Many of you are, but not everybody. And in a Christian home, that doesn't mean it's a perfect home, does it? And so I was raised in a godly home, and I had a dad who worked hard. I had a dad who worked shift work. I had a dad that sometimes was in the morning and the evening and night, and, and I didn't always see him, but I always knew that's my dad. I always knew he loved me. I never doubted that. Dad did a lot of things. We did on vacations, and we went on vacations. We went on camping trips. We did things together. Um, I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed to have a dad like that. Now I am a dad, and I have three boys that I, I hope I'll have to ask them later, are you blessed to have a dad? Anyway, I'll, I'll, I am blessed to have three boys, and I'm telling you, I don't stand here having this thing figured out, dads. But I find the weight of being a godly dad somewhat heavy at times. Guys in the room, what we just sang about, Lord, I need you, we could have just stopped right there and just let the men sing that. Because guys, you need God. You're important. You're valuable. And a godly man is an influencer. A godly man is an agent of influence. So don't, don't buy into what's being said there about men are irrelevant today, that men, being a dad is, is, is not so good. All, you know, all kids need are moms. They need moms and dads. They need a family. And family can be defined, maybe you're here in a broken home, maybe you're, you're not able to have a dad. No, it's, it's not an indictment on you. I'm just telling you the model for God and what you've got to strive for is the plan of God for you and your situation. But don't redefine what a godly man is. Let God tell you. 
And it will be affirming to you, I guarantee you. All right. I had to get that out of my system. If we trace fatherhood back, let's just keep going back. Where was the father? Okay, there's fathers upon fathers upon fathers. We go all the way back, and check me out. We go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first parents, God gave them a task to be multiplying the earth and fill the earth to the praise and glory of his name. To be fruitful and multiply, and that's before the fall, to be fruitful and multiply and spread the glory of God through the earth. Being a father is a God-ordained role within the plan of God to fill the earth, not just with people. Being a father does not mean you've created another being. To be a father is to produce another person who loves God. That's a godly father. In our day today, there's an incredible attack on the family, if you didn't know. Marriage is often viewed in low or even derogatory terms. The roles of men and women are being blurred and confused. Parenting is often delegated to strangers and electronics. Children are being exposed to images and violence and pornography at early ages in greater volume than ever before. So what are we to do? What can we do? Well, God has a plan. His plans, his ways are best. His ways work. And get this. Have you forgotten that he's the master designer of family? He's the master designer of relationships. So let's take a close look this morning at the wonderful God-given role of fatherhood in particular, but family in general. All right, you with me? We're going to look at fatherhood particular, but we're going to deal with family in general. Craig Wilkinson in his book called Dad, How to Be the Father Your Children Need said this, as a father, it's in your bulletin, as a father, you're the most powerful man in your children's lives. You are your daughter's first romance and you're your son's first hero. What you do with this incredible privilege will shape your child's beliefs about themselves and the world and largely determine the trajectory of their lives. It's never too late to step up to the plate and be the father your children need. I like that. I like the fact that he says you're the father your children need. It's not just the father you want to be. It's, there's people that are at stake. There's people that need you, namely your kids, and also people around you. So let's jump in. And Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Chapter 5, Ephesians, verse 22 to 24. First point of the morning, God ordained order and structure for the home. Now, I wonder why he did that. God put structure into the home. He placed roles in the home. Now, there's a little bit of a debate, and I don't think there should be. There's really no debate between complementarianism and and egalitarianism. Now, those are some big words. Um, But complementarianism is that there is a role for a husband to play, and there's a role for the woman to play. They complement each other. One's not better than the other. One's not more important than the other. They complement each other to produce one family, one home, one voice together. Look at verse 22, Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body, and his, himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this is Father's Day, and it sounds like I'm, I'm talking about wives, but I'm going to tell you, remember, we're going to look at this passage with the lens of men, husbands, fathers in particular, but family in general. Wives are to voluntarily submit to their own husbands. Why? Because that's the right response to the will of God. It's the order and the structure of the home. John MacArthur, in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, as I was reading this, I thought, this, this is just so good. Sometimes the commentator says something that you can't get any better than this. So let's, write, let's read this together. Let's look at this. The wife is not commanded to obey her husband, John says, as children are to obey their parents, which we'll see later in in Ephesians, or slaves their masters. A husband is not to treat his wife as a servant or as a child, but as an equal for whom God has given him care and responsibility for provision, protection, and to be exercised in love. She is not his to order about responding to his every wish and command. That is not the plan. As Paul proceeds to explain in considerable detail in verses 25 to 33, the husband's primary responsibility, get this guys, the husband's primary responsibility as head of the house is to love, to provide, to protect, and to serve his wife and his family. Not to lord it over them according to his personal whims and desires. Now, that's John's, John's way of just saying, this is what I think Paul's trying to say when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and later on, defining what husbands should do. Notice the intimacy implied in these verses, particularly as it relates to husbands. Did you look at it? Did you see it? In verse 22, it said, wives, submit to your own husband. The, and, I, and I don't know if I've just forgotten about that phrase or if I've, I've just read it too fast. Wives, submit not just to your husband, to your own husband. And I thought, is there anything to be made of that? Well, the one, this, what does this mean? Submit to your own husband. The one who has vowed to love you in sickness or in health, for richer or poor, till death do you part. That guy. Submit to that guy, the guy who said, I will love you, I will, I, I will hurt with you, I will celebrate with you, I'm, I'm your husband. Submit to that guy. Notice, too, that it is in the same vein or in the same way or reason that she would submit to the Lord Jesus, who loves her how much? The Lord Jesus, who loves you supremely. Wives, submit to your husbands as you would to the Lord. Like, his supreme love requires our submission, And so your husband's love, submit to that. Not to the Lord, not to lord it over them according to his personal whim or desire, but to love him and submit to him like that. Now, um, we have a statement of faith. You know, there's confessions of faith. and, And Baptists, we have the Baptist faith and message. Let me just pull a little piece of that and show you what we have tried to state as the order of the family. 
It says in section 18, entitled The Family, the husband and wife are of equal worth before God since both are created in God's image. Both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. This is right out of the Baptist faith and message. And then get this. A wife is to submit, to her, submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She being in the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household, nurturing the next generation. Now, husbands... Did you get this servant leadership? Does that, is that just a fancy word? Are you the servant leader of your home? I notice I didn't ask you if you're the servant of your home. I didn't ask you if you're the leader of your home. I'm asking you, are you the servant leader in your home? And do you know what that means? Why don't you ask God right now to start helping you be that kind of husband? Wives, why don't you pray that God would help you support and yield to your, your husband's servant leadership as to the Lord and thus foster his ordained order for the home. Does one size fit all with home? Can you have your own independent style of home? I mean, in terms of, well, I know the Bible says to have a servant leader, but we can mix the roles and we can just kind of do that. And maybe we don't even need to do that servant leadership. Maybe we just need to wake up and go to bed and go to work and, and, and God will work the right One size fits all when it comes to being a godly father. I don't mean in every detail. I'm not talking about personality uh, homogenation. I'm talking about the order and the structure of the home is not up for derailing, untangling. Just as gender is not to be manipulated in it. Well, there's male and there's female. How do I know this? Does this matter anymore? Do you sometimes wonder if this matters anymore? And you know what? There's people debating on whether this matters to church people anymore. We need to get back to an understanding of what family is, what dads are, what men are, what women are. And kids need clarity, consistency. And God has it for us. Now, again, John MacArthur in his commentary, again, speaks on this. Wives, submit to your own husband. Get this. Your own husband suggests the intimacy and the mutuality of a wife's submission. She willingly makes herself subject to the one she possesses as her own husband. Husbands and wives are to have, as John MacArthur can say, mutual possessiveness as well as mutual submissiveness. They belong to each other in an absolute equality. The husband no more possesses his wife than she possesses him. He has no superiority, she no inferiority, any more than one who has the gift of teaching is superior to one with the gift of helps, if you want to reflect back to Romans a little bit. 
We're talking about structure. We're not talking about one-upsmanship. We're not talking about power. We're talking about order. Now, look at the structure that God places not only for the family, but for the church. Christ is the head of the church, the body of Christ. Husbands are to be the head of the wife and the family as the body of marriage, the body of family. There's a correlation there. Now, number two, Ephesians 5.25. God calls husbands not only to be the head of the home, but also the heart of the home. Not only the head of the home, and, and guys, get this. You're not just to be the, the guy that brings home the bacon. I love bacon. Don't you love bacon? Now, bring home the bacon means money. I like money and bacon. But that's not what being the head of the home is. That's not what being a leader is. What, what, what we're saying is not only the head of the home, but the heart of the home. Look at this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved his bride, the church, and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives like that. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loves his bride, the church. Wow. If you have been to very many weddings, if you've been to very many weddings, you've probably heard that many, many, many times. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, the danger, in my opinion, the danger in hearing it only at weddings is that we tend to leave it there and not practice it daily as we should. Guys, we are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved his. And then as I was writing this, I think God stopped me as I was just penning this and said, why don't you give an example of that? And so I prayed and said, God, what do you want me to say about loving my wife as Christ loved the church? And here's how it goes. There's never a day that I, as part of the body of Christ, as I am part of the bride of Christ myself, there's never a day that I'm unloved or I'm ignored by Christ. As part of the bride of Christ, I am never unloved and I'm never ignored by Christ. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so our wives should, should be able to know and trust that they are loved like that. Never a day. I don't want Beth to have a day. And for those days that I blew it, I apologize and forgive me. But I don't want you to have, I look over here because there she is. Um, I don't want her to have a day that she feels unloved or ignored by me. Why? Because I'm her husband. And I'm to love her like Christ loves his bride. I'm never unloved. I'm never ignored by him. And so that's the way I want to love you. And it's the way we should love our spouse like that. We need God's help for that. Um, number three, not only is a husband to be not just the head, but the heart, 
God has given us marriage, the love of husband and wife, to reflect the incredible, inseparable bond that Christ has with the church through the gospel. Look at this in verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's the role of husband. It's the role of Christ in the church. I wonder what Paul's talking about, husbands or church, family or, or spiritual family. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands, now he's back, husband, I thought he talking about the church. Now he's talking about husbands again. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, you see the intimacy, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church intimacy because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two should become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, you're coming here on a Father's Day, and it sounds a lot like we're, we're doing uh, marriage counseling here, but um, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands, sounds a lot like the, best, the best-selling book out there by Emerson Egrich, Love and Respect. Don't you think we need more love, more respect? Not only in a home, not only with your spouse, but with your children. Love and respect. And not only in the home, but maybe among us as a church. Love and respect. And not only here at the church, wouldn't the world be better if we had a little more love and respect? I wonder where they're going to see that. When they're going to model that. Who's going to model that? You feeling the pressure, dads? (laughs) Who's going to model that? It's Father's Day. We all could use more love and respect. Now, number five, number four, men, we're called to be spiritual leaders in our homes with our wives and with our children. What does that mean to be a spiritual leader, a servant leader? And so now the rest of this message is going to be about fathers. Now that we've kind of laid the groundwork, uh, if you remember back just a few minutes ago, if you haven't slept since then, um, we started with Adam and Eve, multiply, spread the glory of God to the earth. Then something went wrong. We won't, we won't go there, but we know this. But we're here today to do what? To get back to the Bible, back to the, what the, the Scripture says about being a man and being a father. And let me tell you how, uh, how bad it is out there uh, in America. I don't want to spend much on this because I don't really like doomsday messages. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an eternal optimist, <laughs> but uh, I'm a real optimist. Um, but I'm not blind. I'm not a blind optimist. You know what a blind optimist is? Doesn't know he's blind. <laughs> That's optimistic. I'm not a blind optimist, but I can see these things and it concerns me. It ought to concern you. Like this, according to uh, fatherhood.org, fatherhood.org, surely they've got the facts. Here's the facts, according to them. million children are without a father in the home. 19.7 million kids are living their childhood 
without a father in the home. Now, when it, and I thought, what do you mean? Surely they probably got a stepfather. They probably got an adoptive father. And I looked up the stat, and it's actually 19.7 million children do not have a biological father, do not have a stepdad, and do not have an adoptive dad in the home. That's truly a fatherless home. 19.7 million, according to the stat, which was actually, I think, done in 2018. And what is the effect of that? Can you just say, okay, that's all right. Kids are resilient. You know those kids that don't have dads? They're four times more likely to suffer. Suffer in poverty. Suffer in all kinds of other ways. Four times greater. Seven times more likely to become pregnant in teens. To be sexually active. They have no, it's like their, their, their moorings are led. They're, they're loose with things. They have no influence, sir, in the home. That doesn't say moms aren't relevant. It has nothing to do with that. I'm just saying the structure of the home is cracked. Seven times more likely to become pregnant, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to commit a crime, go to prison, drop out of school, more likely to have behavioral issues. They need dad. They need structure. They need a home. Now, if you have grown up, maybe you're here this morning, and by the grace of God, you grew up without a dad, and you said, I did okay. Did you hear what I said? By the grace of God. Now, what can we say to those that suffer through broken homes? Let me just tell you, God knows you. God knows exactly where you are. And if you're a single mom doing the best you can, trying to do both roles, first of all, you got to admit, that's hard. And sometimes it's dads that they have no moms in the home, and so dad has to be Mr. Mom. And that's hard. I'm not denying that. I'm just telling you there is a structure for the home that God has ordained that really needs our effort to maintain and to be embracing, not neglecting. Let's take a look now in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Paul has marched us through wives and husbands and marriage And now we come to family, children. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I'm going to stop right there and say, look at this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as the Lord has loved the church. It seems like Jesus is involved in your family. He Desires to be Lord of your home. Husbands, love like Christ. Wives, submit like you submit to the Lord. And children, obey as unto the Lord. So if you want to hear the gospel, Dad, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to follow this kind of plan, you need the Lord. You need Christ. You need need power. You need him. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul's described not only a beautiful relationship between husbands and wives. With that in view, 
He then adds the role of children toward their parents, namely obedience and honor. Children, obey and honor. Your dad, who loves your mom like Christ loves the church, and your mom submits to the dad as unto the Lord, and children, obey that. Honor that. And here's the problem. Kids don't see that. Kids don't see that. Dad's forgotten about it and mom's too busy. So when are we going to model this where husbands love wives, wives submit to husbands and children obey and honor their godly parents? Is this a pipe dream? Is this, is this something that is unattainable? Is this, is this unattainable? Is this, is this so lofty? Are we so, such sinners? We can't even see the goal. We don't even see the light of day. We're so tired. We're so beat down that, you know, dads are told on television they're idiots and, and moms are power, power seekers and, and we don't even know husbands and wives and moms and dads and kids are... Or do you like what you're hearing right out of this? I long for us to realize that God's ways work. God's ways are best. And they work. So let's, let me talk to parents real quick. Mom, dad, both of you. Are you making it easy or hard for your children to obey and honor you? Are you making it easy or hard? You better mind me. Why? Because I said so. Why? Oh, the kids are great with the why questions. Mind me. Is that all that it is? Or will you want your kids to obey you and honor you in a way that ultimately... They would, you would want them to obey and honor Christ. You know, you are the first representation of God for a family in your home. Kids see God. They see you before they see God. They see you before they see, before they see God. And ultimately, they want you, see, you want them to see God in you. And that's what I loved about my parents. I saw God in them. I saw God in them as they worshiped, as they came to church, as they did things with me. As I saw them one time, a little church in Florida, I actually do remember this. I was in Florida until first grade. And in my experience there, as I would take a nap on Sunday afternoon, I remember my mom and dad were the, temp- the treasures of the church and they would be counting the offering in the living room. I don't know how safe that was. But they were counting the offering because they were volunteer treasurers. They were involved. They were involved in church. They were involved in God. My dad's a deacon. My mom's singing a choir, things like that. I'm not saying that's any particular. I'm just saying that they did not separate their faith from home. And I'm thankful for that, and I appreciate that so much. I'm going to tell him that today, I hope. I say, Dad, I appreciate you raising me like that. Um, so are you making it easier or hard to, for your kids to obey and honor you? Are you giving them godly example to follow? And as they follow you, they learn to follow Christ. What if your kids followed you? 
What if they really followed you? I mean your thought patterns. They followed your attitudes. They followed you. In fact, they reflect you. Is that a good thing? And I know Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate my flesh. <laughs> Don't, you know, let's imitate me as I'm following Christ. That's what I want my kids to see. And when I'm not following Christ, kids are really good sometimes of calling you out on that. Like, Dad, that's not fair. What do you mean that's not fair? Oh, yeah, okay, it's not fair. It wasn't fair. And sometimes they called you out on it, and then you get a chance to model grace, forgiveness, mercy, sounds like qualities and characters of God. Now, in verse 4, we see the first one, and finally, some of you are like, is he ever going to get really serious about fatherhood? The God-ordained role of fatherhood. Verse 4, fathers, do not, oh, that's interesting. The first thing he says about fathers here, (laughs) don't do this, because we're probably prone to do it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you've been following this message, you know that's not the first thing that's implied toward fathers, even though that's the first time it says, fathers, here's what you should do. Go all the way back to husbands, love your wife. That's a good father. Um, To be the servant leader of your home, that's a good father. And so here we are, as a father also, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, he writes the negative, do not. Then he gives a positive, but do this. It must be relatively easy and often for fathers to provoke their children to anger. That must be something that we tend to default to. Um, Maybe that's a struggle you have. Maybe you have a personality that's not quite as abrasive. Uh, But I'm going to tell you, dads, we're all prone or possible provokers of our children's anger. Uh, How does that happen? Let's get real practical with this. Um, How do we provoke our children to anger? I believe there are two primary ways this happens, and this is just simply me thinking through it. There's probably more than this. I know there's more than this. But the number one is your anger provokes their anger. I I mean, I just got to thinking, how do we provoke our children's anger? I think it's simply your anger, Dad, can provoke their anger. Dads, your tone can erase your words. Ever seen that happen? Your tone can erase your words. Like a little kid says to dad, dad, are you angry at me? No, I'm not angry at you. (laughs) Your tone erased your words. Listen to what the... uh, Wisdom of Proverbs says about anger. If your anger provokes their angers, and the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your kids to anger. In Proverbs 15, 1, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with kids. That has nothing to do with family. There's no context of that in there. 
Does it matter? It says here, a soft answer turns away wrath. That's wisdom. But a harsh word stirs up anger. How about this one in Proverbs 15, 18? A wrathful man stirs up discord, but one slow to anger calms the strife. And then maybe this one in Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, a mighty warrior. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. And maybe you've read your Bible a little unbiblically, and that is it doesn't say fathers, therefore we're exempt. This is wisdom, and this is something that we as fathers could take the wisdom of Proverbs, apply it to a specific command, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How do I do that? By being a little softer, by being a little more caring in that way, and realize I'm better than a mighty warrior if I can keep the anger down. And what's the goal of it anyway? To win? Or to be a model of Jesus Christ for your kids to someday follow you? That does not mean that you can't correct. It does not mean that there can't be moments of tension. But there is definitely a spirit of grace and holiness in your home. So fathers, pray before you speak. Consider the weaker among you. Seek understanding above just being heard. Seek understanding besides just, do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear me? Why don't you better say, do you understand me? Because they hear you. (laughs) They just don't understand you. Loud, I wrote this down. Loudness does not equate to rightness. You know, I have, a, I have a loud voice, speaking voice. Guys are probably toning me down on the, on the board back there. But you know what? Loudness does not equate to rightness always. Now, you can be loud and right. <laughs> but just because you can carry the room, clear the room, doesn't mean that that is right. Now, that's one way you can provoke your children to anger, and that is simply your anger provokes their anger. All right? So you need to say, God, help me with that. All right? Secondly, how else can a father provoke anger in their children? You will be shocked at this one. Now, that was no shocker. Your anger provokes their anger. Okay, guilty, busted. Uh, I've seen it happen. What about this one? I believe fathers can provoke their children to anger simply through apathy, neglect, silence. Silence can make your children angry. What's that mean? They need your wisdom and your support. Children will often personalize the faults of their parents. They do. Kids, many times, blame themselves for what's going on with dad or what's going on with mom or what's going on with mom and dad. Here's what it looks like. For an example, why doesn't my dad talk to me? Why doesn't my dad talk to me? There's something wrong with me. 
Does he not like me? Is he too busy for me? Maybe he doesn't care about me. Dads, your silence, even if you're awkward, even if I, 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 I don't know what to say to my kids. And so you say nothing. And your kids, they don't know you love them. They don't know if you like them. They don't know if they're right or wrong. They don't know, they don't know if you care about them. They don't know what they don't know. And guess what that produces? My dad was never for me. My, my dad was never. And then the dad's got tears. He's like, what do you mean? I was there for you. I was there for you. But you, you're silent. Kids need you. They need you to speak words of affirmation. They need you to speak words of correction. But they need you to speak to them. Kids ask questions like, what's wrong with me? I don't know if my dad even likes me because... He's so silent. And that doesn't mean you're not home. I'm talking about your home. Oh, you're home. But you're silent. And it's like, no, 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 I talk. Hey, turn that TV off. You talk, but you don't talk with them. Why should you talk with them? All right. Did you not hear what we said earlier? We're to be the servant leaders of our homes. We are to model for them that they see God in you, that they would see you before they see God. So it's important that they see in you. I don't think God even likes me. I don't even think God even speaks to me. I don't even think God speaks. Because my dad never spoke to me. Now that's not a one-to-one absolute thing. God breaks into that. God's going to break through your failure. I'm just telling you, don't make him do that. Don't don't cause your kids to have to learn that God speaks to them when they could have learned it through you because you speak to them and that you hear from God. And I'm telling you, Paul David Tripp is a guy that you need to be reading his stuff on parenting. If you've just started out in parenting or maybe you're in the middle, I don't care what age of parenting you're involved in, you need to get some books by Paul Tripp in in addition to whatever else you got because he's on to something when it comes to modeling for children a spiritual thing that's far bigger than just what do you want for dinner? Where are we going? And what are we doing? Or are we having a vacation this year? That's more, there's a lot more to family than those kinds of things. Um, Ephesians 4.29, I don't think it's on, maybe it's on screen, but don't look it up. If, let me just share this. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good Notice that even Paul is implying that we speak. Don't let corrupt words come out of your mouth. Okay, if you're an angry, but okay, I'm not going to do my anger. Well, if I don't speak angry, what should I do? It says, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion and that it may give grace to those who hear. Hear what? Your words. Don't let corrupt things come out. Okay. But what you ought to do is let Good things for the moment. And sometimes that's correction is the moment. But sometimes there is no moment except, I just want to tell you I love you. 
We're rebuilding and re- this morning is simply a chance to reclaim and rebuild what a godly home is supposed to look like. Not in a, not in a vacuum. Not, not, we're not going to produce a godly home up here on stage in some glass box and say, look at that godly home. Guess where the godly homes are supposed to be? Not in a glass house, in your house, in your home, in my home. So finally, let's look at the, the last part of verse 4 when it says, what are we as fathers to do if we're to be godly fathers? It says that we are to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that it's only the father's role to do the instruction. Obviously, a parent's role is to instruct and and so forth. But the father is not absent from that. And so a father should be knowing the direction of your home. You should know the trajectory. You should know the theology of your home. And you should foster that. Don't just say that's woman's work. That's so bad. Don't say that's my wife will do that. My wife, she, she reads the Bible. You and her together. Uh, what does that look like and sound like? Well, I believe Paul's saying, lift your children up. Did you see it? Bring them up, lift them up with the gospel. Now, you're like, it didn't say the gospel. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and the instruction. And I think he's really saying that we are to model the gospel to them in parenting and to parent them with the grace just as the Lord parents you with the gospel of his grace. Have you been disciplined by God? Dad? Have you received that instruction that God stopped you? I mean, there was a time in my life I've told my guys this. God stopped me from what I was doing and he arrested me. He has all kinds of words to use. And he said, Gordon, that does not honor me. That doesn't glorify me. And when God says it doesn't glorify him, he's right. And he stopped me and he disciplined me and he says, you need to change the direction of your life. Now, at that time, I was already a believer in Jesus, but I hadn't grown up. I hadn't disciplined my life. I had, no, I had no real discipleship in my life. And so God had to change me later in life. And I've told my boys that God has changed me. I used to do this, and I do this. I used to like that, but I like this. And it's the discipline of the Lord like that that we could be with our kids. And so modeling to our kids... It's not just in the area of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of modeling the gospel to them that they know why. Why? Dad, why are we here at church today? And if your answer is it's Sunday, that's what we do, it's not enough. So again, what does this look like to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Fatherhood, a God-ordained role Tremendous value and importance in the structure of the home. May we as men, as husbands and fathers, rely on the Holy Spirit's transformative power to change us into the men of God we are to be. And I'd like to close with these few things right here, and we'll be done. A godly father loves God. A godly father loves and honors his wife. A godly father models the gospel, accepts responsibility for his children. A godly father is under authority. Look at that. 
and a godly father leads. And Paul David Tripp quote that has haunted me, actually impacted me. What could be more important than being a tool in the hand of God for the shaping of a human soul? That's a powerful word. What could be more important, Dad, than being a tool in the hand of God for the shaping of a human soul? Godly fatherhood. 